Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. Cleopatra is often remembered for her allure, but her life was a series of battles. For survival in a ruthless family, for the hearts and minds of her people, for respect and recognition from Rome, for the welfare of her country, and, after her death, the final battle for her reputation, tarnished by her enemies, and therefore by history. Welcome to the show. Today we talk about Cleopatra, the second and final, for now, installment in our series on Egyptian queens. Though her beginnings are most misty, here are some things we do know. Her family was not Egyptian. That you need to know right off the bat. The Ptolemies, and that's spelled with a P, <laughs> okay, um, were put in place by the land grabber that was Alexander the Great. He put them on the throne, but they are Greek. They are descended from Macedonian Greeks. Cleopatra was not Egyptian at all. And there's a lot of discussion about, well, what color was she? Was she, could she be considered black? Maybe. Her heritage is a little murky, as is a lot of people of that time. But does it matter? No, because she's Cleopatra. And the color of her skin is not important. So her father, Alvidus, the piper, or the bastard, was summoned back from Syria after this extreme Hatfield and McCoy 200-year battle, they looked around and realized, hey, wait a minute, there's no legitimate heirs left. We've forgotten to leave one alive. Oops. So they had to summon one from afar. Yeah, this family is worse than Henry VIII, I swear. So Ptolemy Twelfth, as history calls him, married his full sister, Cleopatra V Trophena. Again, this family tree is like a straight line with a few twigs on it, representing nieces for those Ptolemies who had forgotten to leave a sister alive. <laughs> uh, I'm half joking about that. I know, some... I know. These are, so this is a bad family to grow up in. You, to survive childhood in this family isn't even about the illnesses and the plagues and things, you know, cutting yourself and getting infected. It's about your brother or your sister knocking you off. Mm-hmm. Or your dad or your aunt or your uncle. Anybody. So they had five children together, and you thought the Elizabethan era was bad for minimal name choice. Oh, oh no. Because all royal women had one of three names. Berenike, Arsinoe or Cleopatra. So, conveniently, they had one of each. And then they had two boys named Ptolemy, because why not? Just put a number after them, and they're set for their own identity. I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. All five of these siblings met violent deaths. That's all I'm saying about that right now. Not a whole lot is known of Cleopatra's early childhood. Uh, as author Stacy Schiff puts it, quote, childhood was not a big seller in the ancient world. <laughs> One thing we do know is that Egypt was regarded as jaw-droppingly bizarre in the ancient world for how much liberty and power were given to women. They owned property. They controlled their own money. They were not subject to the will of their husbands, necessarily. Judges often sided with women in divorce proceedings, for example. So our friend Cleopatra and her sisters and the other well-born girls who surrounded them were very educated. They were. They learned reading and writing in Greek. They studied a lot of literature, especially Homer, and then they had a very, very big focus on genealogies of the gods. Right. And another one on Alexander the Great and his daring do and his deeds. That's the man that put her people on the throne. He's mm-hmm. a big deal. Rhetoric, or public speaking, including posture and emphasis and gestures, etc., were very, very, very important for a ruler. Content was very second place to delivery. Uh, some may say the same is true today. <laughs> Math, geometry, music, astrology. Cleopatra herself spoke nine languages. Cleopatra learned something that her brothers and sisters and other members of her family didn't. And that was to speak Egyptian. Now, you'd think they rule the country, they should speak the language, but that wasn't the case at all. The official royal language was Greek. She learned authority, you know, being royal. Because although she had an older sister, you just never knew with this family where even the babies had poison tasters. I mean, this was her family. This was her family dynamics. It's not like 
Honey Boo Boo where, you know, they just teach each other to cuss and stuff. No, no, no. Okay, I've watched one episode. <laughs> Maybe two. I'm going to put a four-fingered whatever on my forehead for that one. So sure enough, Papa was in a tight spot. One by one, he had lost the buffer countries that were on all sides of his country. The Romans were coming. The Romans were coming. In fact, they were here in all but name. If you, the king, did not do what Rome told you to do, they would probably come over and stomp you. And if you did do what Rome said, your people would think you were a weak sucker and riot on you. The only thing really holding them back was they didn't want other people to get a hold of Egypt's riches. So until they were ready to come in and, like, take it for real, they left the kings alone. It's better to have a stable person there than to stir up a little unrest, have it go down, and have somebody come in and scoop it from you. People at home, though, were irritated by the way that Papa was dealing with the Romans, and he was forced to flee to throw money at the problem in <laughs> Rome. Um, don't leave your country, is what I'm saying. Don't leave it. No, not at all. Uh, because sure enough, older sister Berenike the fourth. Declared herself queen. The very second he left was he threw the plane of existence of the border before she said she was the queen. You, uh, you left the way back, and I'm calling dibs. <laughs> and she's got people to support her. Every single one of these people in this family have their supporters that are just kind of waiting to see and encouraging that person to step up. And if they get on the throne, they are given power. So it took three years, but Cleopatra's father was forcibly returned to the throne by the very first Roman legions to ever set foot in Alexandria. Vampires can't come in unless you invite them. And the vampires are in now. I'm just saying. And Papa invited them. So he executed his eldest daughter, as one does took the property of suspicious nobles. He gave all this moolah and lands to the Roman soldiers who had put him back on the throne, and he appointed Cleopatra and her oldest brother, Ptolemy XIII, as his successors when Cleopatra was 13 years old. And uh, five years more of apprenticeship under her possibly incompetent, definitely unpopular father, uh, and then Papa died of natural causes, which I have to tell you is his claim to fame in this family. <laughs> Cleopatra almost immediately started to disregard her 10-year-old husband, as one does. That would be her brother-husband. Yes. Uh, she put her own self on the coins and everything. Now, a major miscalculation about those leftover Roman soldiers combined with famine, unrest, and just plain poor decision-making... And empowered by the three top advisors of her brother-husband to create an environment where Cleopatra was really not liked in Egypt. It was a campaign against her. So she ended up having to flee into exile with her little sister Arsinoe and bail into the Syrian desert, which I can't imagine is very comfortable. How can she overcome this? I mean, a lesser woman, that would have been the end of her right there. Why come back? Well, 13-year-old P-13, as we're calling him, made a miscalculation of his own. He killed a man in hopes of getting in good with Julius Caesar, who wasn't coming. But hello, the man he killed, Pompey, was Julius Caesar's son-in-law. And so rather than be grateful that P3 had taken care of a problem, Julius Caesar moved into the palace, and he was just determined, you know what, I'm just going to annex this freaking country once and for all. It's getting to be too messy. So Cleopatra, never a woman to botch an opportunity, snuck past all the guards in some way to appear before the 52-year-old Caesar in all her youthful exotic glory. The traditional tale, of course, is that she was able to be snuck into the palace where he was staying, rolled up into a rug. The rug was unfurled and her beautifulness unrolled with it. It's hilarious in the movie with Elizabeth Taylor when they unrolled the carpet. Mm -hmm. It looks like she's having a problem with nausea. So that, so there's that. So um, that's one less reason I think that's probably true. But um, scholars are now saying that she may have been unglamorously stuffed in a burlap or leather sack <laughs> because it wouldn't be detected. That's not something that's who cares? Another slave carrying a sack. So, I don't care. But it was probably a creative way to see him in an unofficial capacity. Yes. If there had been a formal, everybody's around kind of meeting, she wouldn't have been able to use her charms on him. And her charms and her feminine wiles were one of the tools in her toolkit. But as far as beauty goes, she is 
not the traditional beauty that we think. Her image is on the coins. We know what she looked like, and she did not look anything like Elizabeth Taylor or Claudette Colbert or Vivian Lee. But she must have been charming. She must have been cunning. She must have been beautiful to talk to. And, and Julius Caesar must have fallen for that part of her. Well, however it happened, and for whatever reason, there seemed to be chemistry. Wiles were employed, shall we say. And the story is that Ptolemy, P-13, as is, happened upon his conqueror in bed with his adversary and ran out into the street and had a big, fat tantrum, which I'm sure looked very keenly. Gosh, I love that image so much. So thus begins the Alexandrian Civil War. She's basically battling her own people for about half a year. They wanted no Roman on deck. They already had booted Cleopatra's father for being the lapdog of Rome. And now here's this Roman in the, you know. And this, this actually might be the point at which the famous library at Alexandria was burnt. Because mm-hmm. at one point, Julius Caesar had ordered all the ships in the harbor burnt. And of course, as fires do, it left over. Mm-hmm. That's a big loss. Yeah, it was. Alexandria was a uh, commerce hub. I mean, it was a big, powerful city of the time. It's like likening it to New York or London. That's what Alexandria was in that part of the world. So at some point in this battle, P-13 disappeared, probably (laughs) drowned. Yeah, he's wearing his uh, king gear, and it sinks him. Dude, golden armor. Yeah, not not the best. Yeah. Swimwear. So our our Arsinoe joined the other side, was captured, and sent into captivity for now. But what that meant was that 12-year-old brother P-14 was now on deck as king. You know what? Whatever. Sign him up. I don't care. It doesn't make any difference. (laughs) Though every single person, both in Rome and Egypt, knew what was going on with Caesar and Cleopatra, honestly. Well, it was mutually beneficial on a number of levels. I mean, Cleopatra had some coin to back Caesar, who wasn't so great at managing it. P-14 was content to be a polite fiction, having learned, as they never ever seemed to, what happened if he stuck his head up. (laughs) It's cut off. So for now, P-14. So then they all took off on a tour, like a progress, like Queen Elizabeth used to do. 400 boats. Your goal is to exhibit your wealth, to amaze. Everything about this entourage was meant to display wealth and power. She's setting out on a propaganda campaign. This is not the old me. This is the new Mm -hmm. me. So she presided over religious festivals wherever she went. We think of Egypt as dry and as beige, but along the Nile, in fact, it was as green as anything. It was dripping with fragrant flowers and trees and, uh, I mean, really, it was lush all the way along the river. We just think of it as some sandbox, but it really wasn't all the way along. She wanted to show Caesar the pyramids, which are further from her than she is from us, as we said before. But not the Sphinx, except for not most of the Sphinx, because it had lain forgotten and buried in sand for quite a while. If she saw it at all, it was kind of from the chin up. I love um, how you went and looked trying to figure out what she could have seen, like the research that you did to find that out. And I'm not entirely sure. See, I know Hatshepsut saw the nose, but I do not know if Cleopatra saw the nose. I do know that no, in fact, Napoleon's soldiers did not blow the nose off with a cannon. That's a funny story, though. So basically, during this trip, they represented apparitions from another world. The people were suitably impressed. Now, the Romans, on the other hand, viewed this whole thing as this folly, this depravity. You know, Caesar's been borne off by this exotic queen. It just, it looks bad for his machismo. Romans weren't so about softness, and this was like... Dude, you're reclining on cushions and you're... Mm, 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 mm. No, wasn't good. They were two parallel cultures, <laughs> for sure. Um, so, PR, as it was, he reluctantly had to head off back to work after months of, it has to be said, vacation. Yes, his folly, his holiday with Cleo. But there was a little souvenir. There was, although technically she was married to her brother-husband, the 14th. Uh, She wasn't acting married with him. She was acting married with Julius Caesar. And uh, within a year, she gives birth to his son, Ptolemy Caesar. We're not going to call him Ptolemy 15. No. Because we're going to call him what the Alexandrians called him, which is Caesarion, which means little Caesar. Pizza, pizza. <laughs> Did you 
did you write that down? <laughs> I wrote down pizza, pizza, and decided not to say it. So I'm glad that Susan has taken over. And I do want to say that there is some um, information out there that says that cesarean section, since we just used the word, are yeah, yeah. uh, ba- based in Julius Caesar, and that's not the case. They were a common procedure in Rome. Um, uh, the mother always died in childbirth until many, many, many years later, like 1600 so like, AD. Save, save the son. You can always get another wife. Right. Right. Yeah. And it was, if it was a Caesar, it was a Caesar from beyond because the name's pre-Caesar. <laughs> so there was a change subtly. She started to affiliate herself with the goddess Isis, who in Greek was Aphrodite. We're looking at Aphrodite mm-hmm. and her son Eros, mm-hmm. Isis and her son Horus, cast as the mother of the country, the benevolent, romantic ruler of the country. So that's her iconography now. Even though her father had really plunged the country into debt with his Roman bribes, Cleopatra was able to pay the debt and stabilize the economy. Ultimately, in all of history, this is so interesting to me, mm-hmm. she's the 22nd richest person there has ever been Behind Nicholas II of Russia, she is worth about three modern-day Queen Elizabeths in money, if that'll tell you how much money she had. Uh, Really, quickly into her reign, she turned everything around. I'm sure that the weather slash Nile slash harvests helped a lot, so I think it was fortuitous. So she begins putting people in charge of things. She begins the delegation process because... Having gotten all her ducks in a row, Cleopatra, with little Caesarion, gold, cooks, fabrics, cushions, philosophers, because, you know, who travels without their philosophers? Must have a philosopher. Unwilling courtiers, which I read somewhere that the poor people uh, couldn't come with you, even though they would have loved it. And the rich people hated to come with you, because then they were pretty much you know, like your prisoner of <laughs> whims the whole time they were gone. Leopards, pearls, a cloud of spices... In a tumble of waving, cheering citizens, she set off on the 2,000-mile zigzag trip to Rome to see Caesar. Well, she has to bring the son. She has to say, Caesar, this is your child. I know we'll talk about the movies later, but that image of her coming in with the parade in, uh, in the uh, Liz Taylor movie, that's kind of how I imagined it, too, me and everybody who's seen the movie. <laughs> And I'm, I'm still trying to figure out if that even happened at all. I know, I know. Because I think they kind of came into the country house and mostly just um, there they were. Yeah. But, okay. But that shows the opulence of her entourage. Yeah. Yeah. So, she arrives into conservative, humorless Rome. I know you all think of Rome as majestic, as artistic, as powerful. This is not yet that Rome. There's no Colosseum, there's no Pantheon, there's no white marble, there's a lot of mud, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of construction, because mm-hmm. they're getting there. Yeah, yeah, they're working on it. Um, and as fine as Caesar's country estate was in Roman terms, as far as contrast goes, it was like leaving Versailles and landing in colonial Williamsburg. <laughs> a good woman in Rome was an invisible woman. <laughs> totally opposite to Cleopatra's M.O. She needed to be over the top at all times. So can you see her going anywhere in Rome where, honestly, she's kind of the butt of jokes? Like, hey, there's Caesar's hoe. What's yeah, up with right. <laughs> And anytime Caesar came to see her, it's not like he's sneaking. It was all over the place in minutes. There's no low-profile visit, even. And, and there's his, his wife right across town. His respectable, legal, Roman wife. Right. And then... Caesar bailed on her and goes to Spain to fight. So this is like the worst letdown. Though she did spark some fashions and this worrying fad for impoverishing oneself to buy pearls. So that's the legacy she left behind. But here's one thing that Caesar did. Caesar had what's called a triumph. Uh, When you come back from foreign parts and you have achieved some successes, you are to bring back... Your spoils of war, your prisoners. And you know who he had as a prisoner? Arsenoe, the sister, who had defected and gone to the other side. He had her paraded through the streets in golden chains. Now the word is, Arsenoe was the pretty one. Um, so, the sight of her in chains did not really get the same result that he thought, which was like, a, you know, ah, throw, you know, right. rotten fruit at her, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't a man that was all looking like he just lost everything. It was this beautiful woman who was kept captive. In golden chains, mm-hmm. with great dignity. As yeah. Cleopatra had been brought up to the same dignity and queenship. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so it really was not a good PR move for him. And it, it was important for him to get her out of town, kind of. So she was banished to a faraway place. Right. And as far as Cleopatra is concerned, that leaves just another person who's going to be fighting for the crown who's alive someplace. Now, are we going to go into the political situation in Rome? No, we are not. For that, and the story behind the following two facts, let's refer you to the History of Rome podcast. That's a better source, I think, for some of the background on what's about to happen. But what you do need to know is, Caesar was named dictator for life in the year 44 BC in February. And by March 15th, Caesar was killed, stabbed 23 times by a group of senators. You might be familiar with the Shakespearean et tu, Brute. <laughs> yeah, it was totally an inside job. I mean, they, he thought that they were just going to be talking to him like they always do, and they all brandished knives and slayed him. One of the reasons Cleopatra had come to Rome at all, I know, was to put her child Caesarion in his way. You know, maybe get him named Caesar's heir. After all, he had no other sons. But when the will was read on March 17th, there was no mention of Cleopatra or Caesarion. Instead, he named as his heir, let's call him Octavian for the rest of the mm -hmm. uh, podcast, though he would ultimately be Caesar Augustus. But for now, and for simplicity, let's just call him Octavian. And then the worst sort of riots broke out. Fires, violence, all over the place. Luckily, the sailing season had just begun. That's why she hadn't left earlier. Right. Home again to a flourishing and familiar place where she could be herself. Better yet, let's be someone better. Let's knock off my husband brother. And so basically she does that, hoping that Caesarion could become her co-regent. I know. Do we even remember poor Mr. Cleopatra? So then she named her three-year-old son Pharaoh, her co-ruler. Male Pharaoh, check. But a three-year-old is unlikely to have opinions about political ideas. Yes, well, she probably didn't want any interference anyway. But the problem is that she's left hanging dry now. She has no allies in Rome. She needs one. Well, the Roman Civil War raged on past Cleopatra's time, can I please tell you. But at the beginning, Caesar's murder was like Caesar's heirs versus Caesar's killers. Again, let's refer you to the Roman History Podcast. So for years, Cleopatra had a lot of reverses right now. There was famine in the land to deal with inflation to manage, she ended up having to release stores um, and forgive taxes. Oh, my heart. Oh. Um, this horrible epidemic of bubonic plague had swept Egypt, and she had made some political missteps when it came to dealing with the chaos that was Rome. Uh, who to back? Who to approach? What are we going to freaking do? It's not at all clear. you got to make a choice. Is it going to be the right choice? Probably not. I don't know. She sent out a whole fleet one time, and it got wrecked, and you know what? So much for military support. We're going to get back to what we know, <laughs> what we're good at. Um, we've been summoned by Mark Anthony. Now, Mark Anthony was a new, a new leader in Rome. He was a military guy. Let's just put it that way. And he calls on Cleopatra and says, hey, let me come up here and let me talk to you. And give you the 411 on what's going on in Rome. And also, it's kind of like when your boss goes, hey, I need you to explain to me what you thought you've been doing during this war, this thing. He thought that's how it was going to go. He hadn't actually faced Cleopatra in her, um, in her attack mode. Glory. <laughs> Let's call it glory. Okay, Mark Anthony's reputation went before him. Yeah. He was kind of a loose cannon. Women fell before him like dominoes. He was kind of a womanizing party boy with a really strong, ambitious streak, is how I put him in my head. He was ferociously handsome and pretty unconventional compared to the other conservative Roman senators. In fact, one time he stood up too quickly to make a speech and vomited last night's party all over the table. <laughs> um, he only had his head in the game when he darn well felt like it. Let's just put it that way. Our friend Cleopatra has been summoned by Mark Anthony to show up and bow down her head and cry and beg and apologize. So let's take a little break, and when we come back, we'll see how that little plan worked out for him. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with over 100,000 titles to choose from. 
For you, the listeners of the History Ticks, Audible is offering a free download so you can try out their service. To go along with this episode, we recommend Cleopatra, A Life, by Pulitzer Prize-winning author Stacy Schiff, which paints a very human portrait of this most mythical of queens. Or, for background reading, how about Temples, Tombs, and Hieroglyphs, a popular history of ancient Egypt, by the famed Egyptologist Barbara Mertz. To receive your free audiobook download today, please visit audible.com slash thehistorychicks or simply follow the link on our website, thehistorychicks.com. Mark Anthony's looking forward to some subservient behavior from the ruler of Egypt. So, know, know your enemy. Know your prey, Cleopatra. Because she played to his weaknesses big time. So here comes, down the water, a golden barge with purple sails, clouds of scented smoke trailing behind it. Down the coast, followed with supply ships. What the heck is that? Word is, she took half the rowers out, so it will go really slowly. <laughs> Romans have never seen the like of this situation going past them on the water, and they come out in droves. They just literally, their mouths, can't, I mean, flies could just fly right in. Well, who's sitting atop everything but Isis herself? Mark Anthony is trying to conduct business, and suddenly he looks around and he's alone because everyone has run away to go down to the water and see what has just happened. Okay, it's kind of like Friday. Everybody's in class, and then there's a party on the quad. Yes, (laughs) there was a party on the quad. Cleopatra sent a message. Venus has arrived to revel with Bacchus. Okay, Bacchus is the god of wine, and he likes a revel. And he likes a wine, so let's do it. She insisted on hosting. That's a power position. And he and his boys arrived and had their minds freaking blown. She had lights strung up everywhere. No specifics as to what those lights could have been. I don't know. Just all through the trees on the way there, like jewels. There were 40 couches covered in expensive fabrics. There was golden dinnerware encrusted with jewels. I mean, their eyes were round saucers in their heads. Cleopatra herself dressed as Venus, and she was just dripping with jewels. And get this. At the end of this first dinner, she casually just waved her hand. Oh, just take it all with you. Take it all with you? It's like your boss invites you to dinner, and a car picks you up at the airport, and he just gives you the car after dinner. So nobody could really talk about that for a minute. Oh, yeah, and she ramped it up. Subsequent ones, at one point, the party guests left with horses and slaves from a party that was two feet deep in flower petals. So this is the swag, a slave and a horse. Wow, that's a nice gift bag. (laughs) Well, and there is a famous story of Cleopatra. This is totally made up, maybe, except it's everywhere. One day, she bet him that she could not provide a dinner worth 10 million coins. And he's like, no, there's no way. So they come, and it's just a regular old dinner. I mean, regular as in on golden plates, right. exquisite ingredients, etc. But now they're all jaded. It only took like four or five days, of course. <laughs> yeah. What can you do to top this? Yeah. And so a servant simply brings her a glass of vinegar. And theoretically, she takes off her earring, which is a giant pearl, throws it in the vinegar where it dissolves, and she drinks it down. Now, I thought it was a Mythbusters, and it's not. Did somebody oh, debunk yeah. that? Well, okay, it turns out, yes, pearls will get softer in vinegar, but not, like, right then. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, it takes, like, 24 hours for them to get soft enough so you wouldn't choke on it or whatever. And if you bash it up, it'll dissolve, sure. And then it'll make it kind of palatable. You're not exactly drinking vinegar. It kind of changes the chemical composition. Technically possible. More possible, she palmed it, mm-hmm. dropped it pretended to put it in her mouth, like that kind of thing. That said, though, that's a rumor that's gone through the ages. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it made an impression on somebody. Whether it happened or not, I don't know. As one author says, she made quick work of Anthony. You know what kind of burns me, though? I was just thinking about this. You know, both Caesar and Mark Anthony, excuse my language, slept their way across at least two continents. But yeah, Cleopatra gets charred with this... Poor reputation. Let's just say mm-hmm. she was discriminating and, you know, used her powers for good, shall we? There's, like, two dudes. Right. And they were long-term relationships. Mark Anthony and she had similar senses of humor, and they mm-hmm. really did seem to hit it off. I think genuinely, though, her money and, you know, his political power, that's a perfect match. 
also. Sure. And when she left, he followed her to Alexandria, <laughs> even though his political situation at home was by no means awesome. No, no, no. And, kind of shockingly, before he came, it was kind of shocking to Romans, at least, he had Cleopatra's sister killed. Yep. I mean, did Cleopatra tell him to? Probably. As insurance or, or whatever. If you're keeping track, this is four siblings down out of five. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't be counting how many men she slept with, but how many people she offed, you know, well, to man. talk about her legacy. And so, welcome to Alexandria, Mark Anthony, where the situation reminds me a little of this book called A Year in Provence, where the house guests are on vacation. They're sleeping in, sightseeing, eating lots of local food, drinking heavily, staying up late, and the host, or hostess in this case, uh, is still going to work every day. They're not on vacation. They're at home. They're at work. They're doing their jobs. She's a very dedicated queen, so she's kind of like... Party all night, work all day. It's kind of exhausting. Cleopatra and Mark Anthony began a uh, club, a society of inimitable livers. And the whole purpose was um, to drink. It was like debauchery. They would go out at night disguised as other people and pull pranks and very um, fraternity Greek life kind of thing. (laughs) So Mark Anthony took to the luxury of this place. This is a fun place. I was born in the wrong place. (laughs) Um, You know, maybe too much so because he let his affairs at home get quite whack. Uh, His wife, what? Yes. Yes. His wife had kind of incited war in his name and then she skedaddled out of town. So he had to go deal with this. You know, and other warlike, soldierly things we'll not get into here, but a few things happened within a year. Cleopatra became the mother of twins, whose father was indisputably Mark Anthony. What's the daughter's name? Cleopatra. And the son's <laughs> name is Alexander. Yeah. We've escaped the Ptolemy. That's amazing. That is amazing. So, Mark Anthony, as part of a peace treaty with Octavian, his co-ruler, he went back to Rome. And married someone for political reasons. Well, he had to. His first wife had done a little bit little bit of damage to his reputation. Unfortunately, she died. His co-ruler had a sister. Octavia. They're like pawns, aren't they? Yeah. These Roman women. Absolutely. They have no rights, like the rights of chickens, mm-hmm. someone said. But they are really good at cementing alliances for some reason. So he's got this new bride back in Rome, and he's got Cleopatra, who he's been dallying with for a year. Octavia was the ice to Cleopatra's fire, which was the whole point, I think. Maybe to shame him into some kind of respectability or just to distract him. For three years, Mark Anthony lived a quietish life. I'm reminded of Gilded Age husbands just went to the theater, then they went to work, (laughs) made a lot of money. Strapping party boy who had to grow up, sort of. I know, kind of like getting gross, like, I guess I'm mm-hmm. playing golf with the boss on Saturday. It was more yeah. like that kind of life yeah. for Good three years. Here. Yeah. And all Cleopatra could do was get reports. I mean, Octavia had a couple of daughters by now, but Octavian was just being a micromanaging whack job. And one day, Mark Anthony just sent for Cleopatra, you know, meet me here. And he bailed on his new suburban lifestyle. He's out. And he never saw his wife again. Nope. So you know how sometimes you see wives urging their husbands, you know, get off your A. Open that business. You're so good at this. Just stop talking about it. Just do it. And at last, Mark Anthony was gearing up for finally taking names and kicking donkeys. At last, he was kind of coming into his own again. You're really good at that, said Cleopatra. Why are you doing that? Why are you sitting here drinking at in my house, you know? Like, get out of here. <laughs> Bring me home some bacon, honey. So he brings home some military bacon. I mean, he has some military victories. So what does he do? He starts doling out properties. I mean, he names himself as the king of the land and Cleopatra as his queen. He calls her the queen of kings. The twins are both given territories. So they are now the king and queen of their own territories. And there's a new arrival. Yet a third child has come. Now we're back because this child is named Ptolemy. But Ptolemy Philadelphus. Philadelphus. Poor little thing. I hope he learned to spell that in kindergarten. So Mark Anthony is giving his little children countries the way some dads might give you the change out of their pocket, to the point that Cleopatra and her family had now repaired all the territory that her forebears had lost over the last couple hundred years. The people 
loved her. And they did really revere her as the personification of Isis, you know, the, the mother of all the lands of Egypt. But what I'm wondering is, do you think they loved each other for reals? I mean, I think on his side, he was very attached to her. I do. Well, I don't understand how you could grow up, and I, I had the same problem with um, the Tudors, which we keep referring to because, you know, history does repeat itself, um, that she could grow up to be a loving person given her family history. Mm. So did she care for him? I think she did because he could provide her with the stepping stones to get to the position that she wanted. Well, and I think, you know, he reined it in and was faithful, but he mm-hmm. did now have access to all her money right. to finance his campaigns. And then for her part, handsome, yes, intriguing, yes, but also, like you said, a hedge against Rome and preventing them from taking over. I don't know. I just don't know. I know in the movies it's all like the violin's greatest love story of all time. But yeah, I don't know. I'm mediumly doubtful. Let's say, uh, let's say one of the greatest um, partnerships. Oh, there you go. Maybe. But I don't know about love story. I think that's overly romanticizing it. So back in Rome, Octavian had had it with Mark Anthony. He'd really only been frenemies with this guy pretty much his whole life. Mm-hmm. So what is this guy now? Emperor of Asia with like an army and money distributing lands? Putting his hoe on Roman coins with him? Octavian is really losing his mind here. I cannot believe this. Really? And now these people were referring to Caesar's son, Caesarion, Caesar's actual blood son, as the, quote, king of kings. They might as well have just poked him in the chest. Or said, McFly, McFly, (laughs) Adam, you know. And so he decided to begin this smear campaign. He just started the propaganda war. Absolutely. And one of the more effective tools that he did was he publicized something that was not supposed to be publicized, and that would be Mark Antony's will. And in the will, it says that this huge chunk of Roman real estate would be turned over to Cleopatra. This pissed off the people like nothing else could. He put out serious rumors like this woman, this person, is using her charms and her magic on Mark Anthony to get him to make Rome into a province of Egypt. And then he put out embarrassing rumors like, you know, he sits there and rubs her feet. (laughs) To Romans, it's like, what? You know, that was unfathomable. But here's the thing. In order to make this smear campaign effective, Octavian had to make his enemy, Cleopatra, awesome. No one cares if you can crush a little spider. But if it's a nine-foot-wide spider with poison dripping from its fangs, people are a little more impressed. So fighting a woman, eh. But fighting a powerful enchantress woman, now that's some glory. So he built her up, and then he declared war, not on Mark Anthony, because that'd be civil war, and that's bad PR. Right. But on the evil, poisonous spider Cleopatra, the enchantress. It all came to a head a year or so later at the Battle of Actium. That's what you want to search for if you want details on this sea battle. It wasn't the last thing that happened, but it was the most important thing that happened. And since, again, you know, go back to the podcast that we recommended, or we'll send you places in the show notes, Battle of Actium. So what ha- there's a sea battle. I mean, that's you don't really think of these wars you think of them playing out on land but there's actually a sea battle and there's three sets of ships there's mark anthony's ships there's octavian ships and then there's cleopatra and her ships cleopatra was behind that was the strategy mark anthony's ships are big they're big they're not very maneuverable and here's what they rely on they're heavy and they have battering rams go as fast as you can hit the ships on the side sink them but the problem is there had been a big malaria outbreak while they were waiting for the battle to start, and they were shorthanded. So the big speed you need to get up to speed. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and power of boat of that size, yeah. It wasn't going on. Octavian ships were more flexible. And the most critical thing of all, a man that Mark Anthony trusted defected carrying a copy of the battle plans. That's not cool. So this big definitive battle he had planned, Octavian just plain old kept that whole side of his fleet back on purpose. It fell apart, and it got kind of messy at the front. And either it was prearranged, or Cleopatra didn't understand, is this full retreat or not full retreat? She took off. 
And then it was contagious. Oh, are we, we're all leaving? Some people will say she bailed on purpose. Other more generous people say she did not flee the battle. She misinterpreted what was happening. So, you know, it depends on what brand of history you wish to believe. But either she left maliciously and on purpose, or she misunderstood. But she's gone. Enough said. They were trounced. And they fled back to Alexandria. Mm-mm-mm. So, more desertions, more desertions. Mark Anthony was looking like a bad bet. Yeah, at this point, this guy that had been helping her to achieve her goals was suddenly not as powerful as she imagined. I mean, his military prowess was not proving itself at this point in his life. And Cleopatra actually sent a crown to Octavian, offering to abdicate in favor of her sons, which you know is extreme, Because she saw the wind was blowing. I mean, can you believe that after all that fighting? Well, Octavian sent word to her that if she kills Mark Antony, that maybe they can do business. Maybe that could happen. Maybe your sons can. Maybe you can keep your head. (laughs) But Cleopatra can't kill him. She can't kill Mark Antony. So what does she do instead? She sends a note to him via messenger saying that she's already dead. That story of her pretending to already be dead mm-hmm. um, is mocked in some other books. Like, yeah. they tell this ridiculous story that mm-hmm. she's him a suicide right. you know, or whatever, and then other people are like, no, totally. It is frustrating for us because what happened? Please No, we just love to give you the facts as they happen, but sometimes we can't. Basically, Cleopatra packed a building with all her treasures. <laughs> that must have been a big building. Big building. Um, and, you know, intending to kind of light it on fire if she had to, and kind of sort of went into hiding, like hunkered down a little. And um, Mark Anthony was out at battle, but he had lost the war. He had lost Roman respect. As far as he knew, he'd lost Cleopatra, at least her faith in him. Mark Antony... And for whatever reasons, was he heartbroken? Does he is he does he know that his own time is up? Whatever his reasons, he throws himself on his sword, but he doesn't die all the way. Imagine his dismay afterwards when he had a mortal wound, and then there's there's Cleopatra. Yeah. They hold him through a window, which can't have been so helpful to anything that was going on. In addition to the side of the building. Yeah, a big street. (laughs) How are they ever getting that out? It's going to rain and wash it away. So anyway, um, everyone seems to agree. At one point, he was brought to her in whatever way. And after minutes, hours, or weeks, died in her arms. Right. At some point. So he's dead. That's all we need to know. Right. He's dead. It's not like a... Cleo goes right to her own endgame because she plays the grieving widow, and Octavius lets her. She she prepares Antony's body for burial. She actually was refusing to eat until Octavius said, if you don't eat, I'm going to start killing your children, because he wanted her alive still. He had a purpose for her to be alive, so she kind of started to eat. Word is... That she tried to seduce Octavian, but he had his eyes on the prize and didn't fall under her spell. Word also is Octavian wrote that story, so his word on that subject can be taken with an entire basin of salts. Yeah. <laughs> so, Cleopatra knew Octavian intended to take her to Rome and parade her through, through the streets because she'd seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Or sent away at the Triumph, you know, back with the golden right. chains, etc. And she just couldn't. She could not have it. She could not be taken back and treated like that. And she really did try to kill herself quite a few times. She finally succeeded a couple weeks later. And if you know anything about Cleopatra, you know that, supposedly, she had concealed in a basket of figs an asp or an Egyptian cobra. And that's another one of those stories that you'll see people that say, that's exactly what happened. And then mm, maybe not. Was there poison involved? Yep. The delivery system's in question. Yes, exactly, because she was laid out on her bed, and two of her um, handmaids also died with her by the same... That's loyalty, man. I know. Poison. (laughs) But a snake bite, A, wouldn't be accurate or consistent with all three of them. B, it was a really painful death, and she knew that. I mean, this is not some dumb woman who's just playing around with snakes. She knew that what poisons and what things would happen, and... If she had died by that snake bite, she wouldn't have been 
laying so beautifully. Let's just put yeah. it that way. Experts have pretty well debunked the snake thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they died in about 15 minutes. And a toxicologist named Christoph Schaefer, in, you know, very recently, a couple years ago, determined kind of based on reported symptoms, time frame, you know, delivery system, that the three women had died from drinking hemlock and opium. He said we're consistent mm-hmm. with the stories. Right. I mean, there's no way to have a toxicology report or anything. Octavian, however, during his triumph, he went ahead and paraded an effigy of her. Like, who cares? And it had a snake wrapped around its neck. Now, that was the symbol of Egypt. Her crown had a golden serpent right right in the middle. I think maybe the two stories have gotten conflated. It was a pretty Mm -hmm. big thing at the triumph. Here's this Egyptian queen, and there's a snake. And she was poisoned. The telegraph, telephone, telefriend. Teleroman. Yes. (laughs) The (laughs) teleroman. So, I mean, I can see how that totally could happen, too. Even minutes after it had been out on the streets. Mark Anthony and Cleopatra are buried together in Egypt, but nobody knows where. And, of course, that could change any moment. Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, they already found him. Yeah. Because that's how Egyptian history is. All it takes is a guy in the right place, and you can rewrite a whole bunch of history. That's right, and we can find out exactly what she died of, because they could just run tests on her on her remains. Uh, after her death, the first of her children to be offed would be Caesarian, because he's he would be in line for the throne of Rome. Well, and the Alexandrians named him their king once they found out Cleopatra was dead, and now, said Octavian, you must go. Right, you're done. I can't have it. The other three kids were taken in by Mark Anthony's ex-wife, Octavia. I love, kind of love that. So the daughter was treated respectfully. She was given a very good marriage. She married a king. Um, They didn't discount her at all. The other sons kind of faded from the records. That doesn't mean anything happened to them, necessarily. They could have had a very ordinary life. Nothing that was recordable. Yeah, yeah. Just or, like thousands of other people. Or they could have been poisoned. Or, yeah, anything, anything could have happened. Of course, Octavian goes on to become Emperor Caesar Augustus the First, who's pretty darn famous in his own right. And thus ends the life of Cleopatra. Now, I will say, her legacy, if you know her at all, you know she's famous for being a temptress and this snake bite and I think she was tarred with that brush of Roman historians and Octavian having to make her more evil, more vicious, so that his victory seemed greater. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she died, and her legacy is at the mercy of the people that came after her, right. who were no friends of hers. And it's easier to call her a witch than recognize her political acumen or her intelligence or her forethought or, you know, call her a loose woman. Yeah. By today's no. standards, I don't even think she... No, 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 no. Two partners in her whole life. She was a serial monogamous. Yes. That's it. So she ruled her country the only way she could, and um, while she had control, I think she did a very good job with the tools and the circumstances that she was given, which were tough. Oh, I have just to survive the family that she was brought up in. I would like to thank out loud our friend Emily, who suggested that we cover Cleopatra. She was the first person that Beckett and I both met through the podcast. And we sat down when we were in New York and had coffee with her, and she said she would like us to cover Cleopatra. And so, there you go, Emily. Well, it's time for the media section of our program. Um, If you hear footsteps or clicking in the background, we do have a photographer here today from the Kansas City Star, so that's what that is, but we need to get this recorded so that we can wrap up our day. Let's start with talking about the movies. The first one would have been a 1934 Cecil B. DeMille, Claudette Colbert version of the Cleopatra story. Very good for the time. Then we move on to the 1945 Anthony and Cleopatra with Vivian Lee. Now this is fresh off Gone with the Wind, and I think it's too soon. After Gone with the Wind, actually, I could not stop rolling my eyes when she said, This Sphinx? This isn't the Grand Sphinx. This is just a little kitten of a Sphinx. Fiddle Dee Dee. I know. (laughs) And then the soundtrack was so hectic, I just do not know. It's like unemployed orchestra performers from all over the world landed and needed a job. And and so I can't recommend that highly unless it's on, you're tired and don't feel like getting up from the couch. Then you can watch it. Or if you're a big Vivian Lee fan, you've probably already seen it. She's really pretty, though. She's gorgeous. In the movie, so. Yeah. The biggie, of course, is the 1963 Cleopatra with Liz Taylor and Richard Burton. I do have to say, 
normally I watch all these movies and I, I just love them. I took some spectacular naps watching the Claude Colbert and the Liz Taylor version. I had seen the Liz Taylor version before, so it didn't really hold my rapt attention like it should. Now, I have a problem, again, with casting. Rex Harrison as Caesar. No, no. A thousand times no. He was so good on My Fair Lady. Just perfect. But all I could see when Caesar comes in the room is... If you refuse this offer, you will be the most ungrateful wicked girl, and the angels will wait for you. <laughs> From my fair lady. <laughs> the whole accent. Yeah, like, yeah. Ooh, Cleopatra. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, Caesar is being a little bit more of a... Man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I have to say, my, per- my favorite appearance of this movie occurs in the novel Beautiful Ruins by Jess Walters, which is set, part of the movie is set on the set... Of Cleopatra and Richard Burton is a character in the novel. Is he's the father of a child, and it's a multi generational story. It's beautiful. It's just I love this novel. But anyway, that's my. I didn't sleep on the novel. I did sleep on the movie. I have to say. Well, if you can make it past Caesar, actually, it's 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 yes. And I had, like I said, I'd seen it before, so there was no magic for me. Now there is a 1999 movie that I honestly only found on YouTube by mm-hmm. accident, and evidently it's really hard to find on DVD. Billy Zane is Mark Anthony. Ooh! Finally, we've got good casting. That's really true. Timothy Dalton is Caesar. Check. Yes. Okay, two for. Um, it's really good production values, and they're kind of realistic with their lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, better casting, really. Um, and you can find it in sections on YouTube. Um, section two. Not safe for children. Yeah. That's might, all I'm saying. You might want to screen that one. And there is actually in development a new Cleopatra movie starring Angelina Jolie. So the new movie is now going to be directed by Ang Lee, and that's all IMDb has. Oh, that's all. I know. It just says in development. So, But it's been that's in development for quite a while. Oh, I'm going to stand up. Oops, there you <laughs> so maybe it's getting closer to actually being a real thing, which would be kind of exciting, I think, because they'd have modern production values, modern cinematography, and Lee, hello. I know, he did a really good Jane Austen adaptation. I know. We <laughs> we like our pretty movies, don't we? <laughs> no, that's right. No, that's good. Well, okay. you know. Yeah. Um, once you, when you're on YouTube, you might want to just go ahead and click on to Horrible Histories because there's a whole series of awful Egyptians which tells you a lot about, I mean, you can learn so much from these things and, and laugh at the same time, but both Cleopatra and Hatshepsut play a role in a number of these Horrible Histories videos, which are just absolutely hysterical. And quite honestly, that's all I have that's a video related. Well, Do you have something else? she is referred to oh. by the 10th Doctor Who, kind of smarmily. Yeah. I'm not a fan. I can't believe you're the one that's doing the Doctor Who reference. I know. I know. Um, so he refers to, you know, Cleo. Yes. And then he he states merely, the accounts of her beauty are greatly exaggerated. She would be the loveliest woman on earth only if you enlarged her bedchamber as big as the whole earth and all the handmaidens had the day off. Oh, ouch. I know. There's no call for that, Harsh. Dr. Hill. No Harsh. call. And then, of course, if one is at the theater, there are The Tragedy of Antony and Cleopatra by mm-hmm. William Shakespeare. Right. And... Julius Caesar, where you will see Mark Anthony say his iconic friends, Roman countrymen, <laughs> which is really the only thing the average American will know about the play Julius Caesar. Well, that's... Other than Ed to Brute, which we've already covered. Yeah. Okay. So how about some books? I have to tell you, can you talk about Motel of the Mysteries? Because when we had first talked about covering ancient Egyptians, you're like, this book, you have to read it. So I went to the library, I got it. On the way back from the library, my daughter had already read it. So, this book is called Motel of the Mysteries, and when I read it, I was in some stage of childhood in Reader's Digest, <laughs> the excerpt. Mm-hmm. I was probably at Grandma's house or something, Yeah, you, you know, you wanted something to read. What this is, is some future archaeologists have located a roadside motel from the 50s or 60s in mm-hmm. America, and they're using all the artifacts they have found to determine what our civilization right. is like. And so... They say that there is a white throne that has a paper covering that has the incantation sanitize for your protection, <laughs> which is it, which is like the incantation to their god, right. and and the the television is referred to as the idol, and the, mm-hmm. which is kind of true. Yeah, a little bit. It's just funny how much misinterpretation they go through and convoluted things they get mm-hmm. through to get to the end, and I'm thinking now. Especially with the earlier ones, like yeah. Hatshepsut, yeah. 
the way Egyptologists have to work is from little tiny pieces mm-hmm. like that. And I'm sure this book was making poking fun. Yeah, but I think for kids, it's a kid's story. It's a, it's not like a picture book. Well, there's pictures, but it's got a lot of text. Um, it's a great way to illustrate to kids about an archaeology and the scholars that study all of it. So I think it's a great illustration. And both my 17-year-old daughter and my 9-year-old son loved it. So there you go. Go get that one from your library. Um, as far as actual <laughs> historical books go, um, with Cleopatra, we both strongly recommend Stacey Schiff, who actually is writing the movie that's in development right now. So it's a beautiful illustration of her life, and it's got a really cool cover, which, you know, I'm a sucker for a good cover. And also for a little taste of what that book's like without the commitment, there is on the Smithsonian website an article written by Stacey Schiff called Rehabilitating Cleopatra, and it is really just a condensed version of that book. And it was from the December 2010 issue of the Smithsonian Magazine, but we can link you to It's readable online. And then, as to other books we liked, there is a, a book called A History of Egypt from Earliest Times to the Present by Jason Thompson that is a really good overview on how did the Egyptians get to Hatshepsut's dynasty Mm -hmm. and then all the pyramids having been built, etc. up till then. And then they take Egypt all the way through to Cleopatra, which is really where it ended. All right, let's see. Hatshepsut, there is a pretty good biography. Hatshepsut, the female pharaoh, by Joyce Tinsley. The Search for the Last Queen of Egypt, which is a National Geographic production. It was a book that accompanied a traveling exhibition. So there's lots of photography of artifacts. There's also a children's book called You Wouldn't Want to Be Cleopatra by Jim (laughs) Pipe. (laughs) I would not have made it as Cleopatra, that's for sure. I'm not as (laughs) cold-hearted and uh, determined as Cleopatra, for sure. And then I have a book, Hot Shepsit, His Majesty Herself, which talks again about the pronoun confusion, (laughs) by Catherine Andronik and Joseph Fiedler. And then there's a fiction book. And I am not going to recommend it. However, I okay. know you might like it, and others might like it. It's just not in my genre. It's okay. called The Artifact Hunters. Oh, okay. It's a mix of Georgette Hire romance. Oh. There's a love element. The basic premise of at least the second one, which has to do with Hot Chepsuit, is how are we going to get Queen Victoria to take off that necklace before it drives us into war? The necklace is making Queen Victoria crazy. <laughs> it was a cursed necklace Got from it. Queen Hatshepsut. Interesting. And then they end up at the Winter Palace in Russia. So there's a lot of elements here. Yeah, if you've listened to the podcast, you might be able to. I didn't read that um, one. And the first book in that series is about Nefertiti's heart. So there's a lot of Egyptian right at the mm-hmm. beginning of the Artifact Hunters. Oh, okay. Hey, I'm going to give a shout-out to an indie author. We don't do this a whole lot. A lot of independently published works are not very good. But I have to say, this is a <laughs> historical fiction. It's written by L.M. Ironside, and it's called The Crook and the Flail. It's part of the She King series, and it's about Hatshepsut. And it's actually really good. It deals with her life um, as a child and her education up to one of her marriages. So um, so that's a good one. Um, as far as kids' books, I have Hatshepsut of Egypt by Sharon Yim Bridges, which is part of the Thinking Girls Treasury of Real Princesses, which I, I love this series. That's um, that's a good name. Yeah, I know. Thinking <laughs> Girls Treasury of Real, Real Princesses. princesses. That's yeah. good. So, and we actually were using that because at the beginning of it, it has a pronunciation guide. And then, I'm going to throw it out there again. If you are in London, go see Cleopatra's Needle. If you are in New York, go see the other Cleopatra's Needle. Not, in fact, Cleopatra's, you know. But it's just west of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And I would so welcome a picture of yourself. Yes. And actually, (laughs) in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, there is a a room for Hatshepsut. So you could make a day of it. And... Apropos of nothing, I was able to get the Cleopatra Lego minifigure, <laughs> who is holding an ass in all defiance of historical facts. Here, put it on Stacy Schiff's book here, and I'll take it for the... Oh, I think someone there. else is taking it. Oh, yeah, I see that. Hers is going to be way better than the one with my camera phone. <laughs> So that wraps it up for our Egyptian Queens series. Um, We hope you enjoy your curiously non-specific trip through ancient Egypt (laughs) and all of the assorted theories that we covered. Might I also add, Valerie, Hatshepsut was for you. True. (laughs) It was. She started asking for that like three years ago. Yeah. 
first episode. So, there you go. And so, we come to the end of the lives of our Egyptian queens, Hatshepsut, whose legacy was erased by chisels and brute force, and Cleopatra, whose legacy was twisted by the greater force of propaganda. But we found out the truth, fellow deceivers, or at least some version of the truth. (laughs) Uh, So, our Egyptian queens, at last, have the last word. Thanks for listening. Bye! For show notes, links to the things we talked about today, or to donate, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at The History Chicks with an X, or like us on Facebook without an X. Listen to us on Stitcher, the super fabulous radio app of tomorrow. If you'd like us in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. Our music comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com. Music.